Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia perfecta ex machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media, and focusing on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. On today's episode, episode one, we interview Dr. Paul Lynch, director of the writing program here at St. Louis University. All right, so I'm here with Paul Lynch, director of the writing program at St. Louis University. How's it going, Paul? It's going all right. And enjoying your first week back? Uh, enjoying might not be the first word I choose, but it, it is good to be back. That's good. In the swing of things. So first sort of uh, opening question to ask, how long have you been the WPA here at St. Louis University? I am starting my third year. So I've completed two full years, and this is the beginning of my third. Excellent. So what's your general philosophy, both for running the writing program and then as someone who also then teaches in the writing program? For running the writing program, I think it's, so far as I have a philosophy, most of our instructors are graduate students um even some most of our adjunct faculty well not most but some of our adjunct faculty are graduate students who are just continuing the program so if i have a philosophy i think it's we want to have a a coherent program-wide focus on rhetoric as being the thing that we teach and the framework out of which we operate um so that there's some common agreement about what we're trying to do but but enough that in but that, that there's still freedom for instructors to teach their courses, to innovate, to take new approaches. I mean, what I hope to do is to train our instructors in such a way that they become, as I hope we are, um, how to put this. I don't, want, I don't want a program philosophy that says, here is the standard syllabus and textbook. You must all now follow this, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want a teacher-proof curriculum. I want there to be right. enough enough agreement that we're all operating on the same sort of framework with enough freedom that instructors can can do what they want to do in their classes so then building on that then what do you what do you do in your class how do you take advantage of that pedagogical freedom um i think well you know i I mean, so I teach the the first year course frequently, and I think it's important for someone in the position of directing a writing program to teach the course frequently, so you actually know what's going on in it and they're seeing the kinds of things and the kinds of issues that your instructors are seeing. Um, I follow the curriculum that we we have designed, and I say we because it has been changed and altered through a great deal of instructor feedback, the way that the assignments worked. I mean, it was actually designed in a course by a group of graduate instructors in its initial form. That's probably four years ago now. And the major um, changes to it, for the most part, have come from the ground up, from mm-hmm. instructors working on it and saying, I think this works better here. My experience is that if we reverse these assignments, uh, things will go more smoothly. So I tend, I mean, the first thing I do is try to follow what we have, I take, that we've agreed. Um, But in my actual class, what I'm trying to do as much as I can is to get students to, um, I take this to be the art, the, the purpose of rhetorical education, to get students to see that, that intelligent people of goodwill can disagree about complicated issues and that more than anything you have to be able to imagine how the person you're talking or writing to thinks feels what their investments are Mm -hmm. um that and especially given our current 
political and cultural climate in this country seems to be the most important thing we could possibly do to imagine some perspective on the other side. Unfortunately, as we discussed at orientation, the phrase many sides has, has taken on a new and unfortunate meaning. Yes. Um, um, I, there, there clearly are not many sides on some issues, but on issues, the kinds of things that our students are thinking about and wrestling with, you know, I'm teaching the faith and doubt and rhetoric section this semester. Obviously, we are going to continue to live in a country and a culture with a wide array of opinions, beliefs, uh, practices when it comes to religion. If we're not teaching our students to be able to imagine how things look from through the eyes of someone from a different perspective, then we're not doing our jobs. Well, excellent. Thank you. So I guess building on that, or maybe even working our way backwards as we work our way forwards, sure. um, you'll, you'll notice you're now in our newly yes. remodeled uh, recording studio um, in the computer system instruction lab, which is which has been growing over the last couple of years, and and sort of to go back to the sort of Disoy Logoi having this right. roots in ancient rhetorical theory, right? Um, sort of how you see the multimodal component that's now such a big part of the syllabus. Sure, sort of how you see that is within that trajectory or adding to right. it, um, and then in particular how you think you see it fitting in um, with within our unique writing program, being at St. Louis University. Uh, Catholic and Jesuit institutions. Sure. So the, the, both the, I guess, longer rhetorical tradition, but also the Jesuit rhetorical tradition. Right. So the name of this podcast is perhaps over, maybe too on the nose, Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina. Right. right. Perfect eloquence from the machine, which sort right. of highlights the, right. both that it's a podcast, but that it's also going to be exploring particularly how instructors use right. new media technology. So how you see that actually not being a a break so much as a new wrinkle that actually fits well sure. within that history. Sure. So, you know, just to go back to the start of your question, that the, the Disologoi assignment, and that um, for listeners who might not know, that comes from a, an ancient Greek practice of arguing both sides or many sides of an issue and learning, again, to see things from another perspective. And in imagining a world where in complicated issues there could be, there can be disagreement, and we have to make decisions with the best available knowledge, always knowing that, that certainty in complex areas is not always available. And so, and to kind of go back to an earlier question in the conversation, that assignment has been taken on much more prominence this year in, in our curriculum. Um, that came through, through some faculty um, input to expand the, the idea of, of making this. So the Disologa assignment ask students to argue or think through an issue from multiple sides to resist the urge to have a thesis statement and three supporting points and the usual things you do. And the thinking behind it is that it, it seems at this moment it's more important to cultivate habits of dwelling in complexity and living with uncertainty than it is to, to cultivate habits of picking a, an opinion and sticking with it no matter what. And I think that um, that shift is really, really important. Um, now to go back to to this question, I think the I mean two things. One, the the new media technology. I don't know. Is it still new at this point? Uh, digital. We're um, still sticking with that. It's, you know, um, emerging it's sort of like when modernism got called modernism, but right. now we're also modern now, but not because that was a right. You know, right. We, we run. That's why we have so many posts now. That's right. That's right. Um, so in our post new media environment. Um, I think the thing about these kinds of technologies, a couple things I would say. One is that the, the very difficulty students and instructors sometimes have working with these things is extremely useful. 
because it forces us to consider the perspective of again perspective of the audience how the audience is receiving something where they're going to encounter it what else they'll be doing when they encounter it we're getting away far i hope farther and farther away from the idea that writing is or composing is the transcription of ideas which once in written form can be neatly deposited into another person's brain yes Uh, and more to our idea first of all that composing is a way of thinking and that rhetoric is a way of essentially thinking with another person or other people present. Um, and so that you, when we struggle, and certainly I do, because um, I'm, I'm a recovering Luddite uh, for sure, struggle with working with these technologies. Partially, it's not just that, that I don't know how to work the machine, so to speak, but also that the machine forces me to think about things in new ways. Um, and I think that's really, really important because, again, it gets focused on the audience. As far as the tradition goes, in the rhetorical tradition, the Jesuit tradition, um, it, it seems to me that as, as uh, newfangled, let's say, as one might say all this stuff is, if you look at the original way the Jesuits started teaching rhetoric in the 16th century, it was all, always multimodal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about uh, writing short essays. It was about public speaking. It was about demonstration. It was about plays. Jesuits were great, you know. Uh, sponsors of theater and taught their students theater and and students wrote original work wrote original music had public performances in which the local dignitaries and families and parents would be invited to come and see what they'd done partially to prove that this method of education worked Mm -hmm. right because in 1599 lots of people hadn't heard of these strange guys in black robes right right so partially to prove that they knew what they were doing but partially because there was a, a pedagogical purpose in saying in in saying you need to be able to do this on a public stage um i think all the 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 audio video visual all the affordances of of new media technologies all that is simply a 21st century updating of that same multimodality that existed 400 years ago so i don't think in a way it's nothing new it's and and if anything it's forcing us back to those original rhetorical questions you know as walter ong the most famous scholar to come out of the slew's english department and probably one of the most famous if not the most famous jesuit scholar of the 20th century certainly in england um pointed out the arguments over orality and literacy preview um the, the fact that different ways of delivery matter Mm-hmm. and shift not just how you're trying to say but but what you're trying to say excellent well we're just about finished so i want to know if you could let us sort of we'd uh, end this episode with you talking about any sort of specific goals or hopes you had for the coming semester so um i'd like everyone to have their the right book by early next week um that would be great but you can longer be very term, specific if you want yes. <laughs> very specific goals you have about <laughs> use of use of dry erase I markers just want, whiteboard protocol no i just want i want them to have the books i would settle for that but a couple things i'm hoping for one is we we're sponsoring for the first time a writing contest for the writing program there'll be two categories one for the diso logo and the other for uh a new media project and again that comes straight out of the jesuit tradition yeah. look at the ratio studiorum having prize giving contests those things were constantly encouraged that uh, the jesuits were comfortable with the felt a uh, healthy sense of competition and on the argument that it would it would prompt people to strive more mm-hmm. and do more um so we're sponsoring uh, the, the writing contest or i suppose we might say composing contest this semester i'm looking forward to that the other main thing i think uh, programmatically 
is is programmatic assessment. We've been collecting examples of student work for a couple of years now. It's time to start reading them, and I and I hope what that starts to do is give us information that we can filter back into, say, a fall orientation to make it less about just introducing the program and more about saying, here's what we learned last year. Mm-hmm. Here are things we could work on for this year. You know, and we're not going to go into wholesale revision every year. That wouldn't make any sense. But to be able to say, here are three areas that we're seeing that are issues in students' papers. Can we? Because that's really what assessment really ought to be. It's not about evaluating individuals and structures. It's about asking as a program, are we doing what we say we're doing and what we need to do to make sure we're doing what we say we're doing. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is great. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me, Nathaniel Rivers, at nathaniel.rivers at slu.edu. Perfected ex machina.